Hello and welcome to Technically Speaking, where scientists and engineers come together to chat about common interests, share knowledge and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Laura and in this episode I'm joined by Antonia and Rueda to talk about cars, motoring and gearboxes and speculate about what the future might hold for driving. Um, Rueda, the inspiration for this episode came about because you were looking for some driving lessons, so can you tell us more about that? Uh, yes, I've been trying to find driving lessons for about six months to uh, pass my test with an automatic car for, for a few reasons. And, and the foreseen future won't seem to be a thing to drive a manual. And the other reason is just I find manuals are a lot of work. <laughs> you know, when you mentioned that to me a while ago, I assumed that the reason lessons for cars with automatic gearboxes were so popular is because electric vehicles are also becoming more popular and they don't need to change gears when you're driving them. I guess we'll get into that in uh, a minute. But Antonia, I think your experience of driving is probably a little bit different to Rueda's. Yeah, I think in past episodes when Rueda was talking about learning to drive, um, I could I could agree because I learned on a on a manual and I drove manual a couple of times, and then uh, I think our first automatic car was a was a hybrid, and now I you know I'm not worried about the the fun of driving and the total control that people say you get from a manual. <laughs> I like. I like having two hands on my steering wheel, having good control um, and, yeah, just not having to worry about um, stalling the car. That's nice. Like, there's yeah. there's hill assist. It's pretty good. <laughs> I, I can't ag- agree more, Antonia, for this. Besides the emerging going around about with an automatic. <laughs> <laughs> so... I guess my experience driving or starting off driving is probably similar-ish to Antonia's because I also learned in a manual, but I do have a confession. That was well over 12 years ago and I haven't really driven a lot since. I haven't driven in over 10 years. So all I've driven is a manual and the control of the car was not the thing that wasn't enjoyable to me. Knowing when to change gear and how to change gear smoothly was a thing that I took a lot of pride in. (laughs) (laughs) But I am curious about the changes in car technology, even though I don't drive anymore. So I guess that leads in nicely to the focus of this episode. And Antonia, I think you mentioned something in the past, uh, in past episodes, about the efficiency of traditional cars with internal combustion engines. So I guess that's a good place to start. Yeah, so I think an an internal combustion engine car is quite quite a classic example, um, and a classic example of efficiency from a fuel. Um, so a lot of the fuel you burn um, is lost as heat, uh, rather than converted into kinetic energy or work to drive the car. So think I've seen figures where the efficiency is something between 20 and 30 percent efficient whereas if you look at the efficiency of a uh, of an electric vehicle I'm sure there are some cool Sankey diagrams you can find online where they sort of say you know from the point of generating electricity down to a point of driving an electric vehicle what's the final amount of energy coming out of it um but also, <laughs> the interesting point is, you know, regenerative braking. So it's not it's not really worth regenerative braking unless you a have a big enough vehicle that it warrants having a heavy flywheel. 
because flywheels are basically a large mass that store uh, rotational energy that you can then bring back at some point. Um, so they tend to be reserved. That's re mechanical regenerative braking. And, and so that's reserved for large vehicles. Otherwise, regenerative braking is more efficient when you have an electric battery and storing it electrically. Is this a different point to what I said in the past? Um, I think that probably does summarise the episode we did about... Um, oh, jeez. I'm terrible at remembering episode names. Yeah, uh, <laughs> me too. We did that, that Yeah, one. that it, one. Was it about batteries? <laughs> I think it was about EV batteries. Oh, I was thinking the one about how science engineering changed our lives when we were looking at transport, oh. which was about a year ago. I definitely remember you mentioning flywheels because I didn't know what one was at the time. I had to look <laughs> it up. And now I understand it. I, I get what you mean about it. You'd use it in a bigger car, a bigger vehicle, because they're heavier yeah. anyway. So that extra mass wouldn't be a huge percentage mass yeah. increase. But I think you also said something about how internal combustion engines need gearboxes because they're only really efficient at certain RPM, revolutions per minute. Yeah, that is, that is also another aspect. I thought it was partly because of that. But when I was reading in preparation for this episode, I found another fact which is actually when you first start up an engine it's got too much so if you didn't have a gear a lower gear you'd almost go from like naught to 60 too fast for a for a road so it wouldn't be safe so actually we have gears to step it down I guess there are two components to that there's speed and then there's torque or turning force what can you really do? You can control airflow, you can control fuel and temperature. So I guess those are the main factors, but you also want to get the most out of your fuel. So instead of controlling these and getting less efficient burning, you would rather use a mechanical way of turning the crankshaft. And, you know, we have gears and you use different gear ratios so you can get either more torque or more speed. So with a, now I'm trying to remember which way around it is, big wheel is driving a small wheel. Then you have lots of torque and it rotates fewer. And then you would get a, the smaller gear would then spin faster. So you kind of get the speed out of that one. And then the other way around, if you had loads of speed, you could then get, more torque which is why tractors are terrible on a road <laughs> if you've ever been stuck behind one uh, some of them are reasonably fast but yeah they've got all the torque and none of the speed <laughs> yes yeah exactly <laughs> well people keep on saying that they have more control on the car though i think that's because you can dictate when it changes gear so like say i wanted to accelerate to overtake something really quickly I drop it down a gear if I'm in manual and then put my foot to the floor mm. and the car should jump forward. But in an automatic, you don't necessarily get that control. You're, what, how you drive is dictated by how the gearbox is set up. So if I put my foot to the floor in an automatic, it wouldn't necessarily leap forward in the same way. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to change gear now. You're pushing me too fast. <laughs> no, that's, that is true. But there is sports mode. And then you have all the power that the car has available rather than trying to do it efficiently 
or fuel efficiently, it will it will just go. I would say that putting a car into sports mode also makes me it makes me less car sick anyway. Mm. I think it also tightens up the suspension as well. I know it's just an interesting yeah, and a car my boyfriend hires a few years ago to do some driving in the mountains. Yeah, sports mode was comfortable. Eco mode was not at all. I d- I'm not entirely sure what all the difference yeah. was. That's interesting. I I never use sports mode because you know I like I like driving automatic because it means I don't change gears. So I just I just leave it in the default and whatever happens happens. <laughs> Maybe I could be a little bit more conscious of what's going on, but I guess I've kind of weighed up that I get the benefit of focusing more on the road. So I'm going to do that instead of trying to work out how the car works at the same time. Good point. Cause I think it's better to keep your eye on the road, isn't it? I can't remember a time when I've been sitting there going what gear am I in what gear I'm meant to be in and looking down at it and trying to change things my hand just automatically went to the gear stick regardless of which car I was in yeah I don't yeah I didn't like stare at my gear stick but it's just more of a more of a you know it's mental load it's not like my eyes are off the road but just like I might not be as mentally focused on everything that's happening and potential hazard you know like that hazard awareness test where you click every time you see like someone on the road they could cross time to click but you have to click at the right time oh (laughs) and and what you said laura is kind of like my dad been driving an automatic for a very long time now but he learned and driven a manual for about 20 years and he still have his hand on his gear (laughs) when he's driving (laughs) Because I think his brain is wired to have his hand covering gears. I had to get into the right habit of not trying to press the clutch. Because in a, in one of my cars, where the clutch would have been is now the handbrake. <laughs> That's not a good design. <laughs> it's a lot out of the way, but still, occasionally I'd be like, oh, time to go for the clutch. Nope, that's, nope, keep the left foot down and still. <laughs> for me, it still feels very normal not to have my <laughs> left foot moving at all. For me, just like, it's labor. I've got to say, even though it's been over 10 years since I was behind the wheel of a car, if someone asked me, how do you start a car and drive off? I would be moving my hands and feet the way that I would if I were driving a manual. It depends on the first car you learned in. It dictates your mm. big muscle of the brain there. <laughs> Maybe. And I, I got to say, I've looked at the cars that I've been in recently. So my boyfriend now drives a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid. And I, I don't even know how to start it. You have to put, don't you have to like put your foot on the brake or something? Yes, because you will release the handbrake and the car will start moving for you and you don't have to clutch in first gear. So you need to stop it with the brake. <laughs> I don't have enough control if I've not got a clutch and a physical handbrake that I can actually pull up and feel that it's on there tight. Some, some do have a handbrake. It depends on the car. You know, you could you, you could still do that. Yeah, if you if you hang on a hand handbrake, you'll find that in automatics. I still find the handbrake not handy because I driven before in Baghdad and it's flat. So it for me it almost does not exist. You didn't fancy putting your foot to the floor and trying to do a handbrake <laughs> turn then. <laughs> but I understand I really need it here for safety and if I'm stopping on a traffic light or on a hill even in an automatic I will need to put my handbrake up even though for me this is just an extra move I don't need this have it safety first yeah <laughs> so I guess we've talked a little bit about how 
traditional cars with internal combustion engines work that they're only efficient at a particular what's the best way of word i want to say power output but that doesn't sound right it is right it is right i think i think i think that okay. is essentially what it's doing fair enough i feel like saying like they they only have a certain amount of power they can give and that's it and then you use the gears to convert that power into whatever you need it to be well i, I guess when you say power output i think of like your your experience of the power like the delivered power but it still has uh, maybe, yeah now i see what you mean <laughs> i've totally derailed the conversation with semantics about what does power mean <laughs> flashbacks to the the electricity grid episode when i was trying to explain a voltage and and power and potential difference oh man we got there though uh, that's how i we did get there. that's how i felt when i was looking into how electric uh, vehicles how the motors in them work because i found so many resources that just confused me so i think the reason that electric vehicles don't have gearboxes is because you can just control it all off the motor so you can change the speed by either changing the voltage or the frequency of the alternating current so you don't need the torque anymore so the torque is governed by the amount of current uh, and obviously your battery can only supply a particular amount of power at any one time power is voltage times current the torque is important and the torque does drop off when you get to really high speeds you'll start off with all of the torque and you'll get to a high speed quite quickly. And then the torque starts to drop off unless you do some fancy things to get around that. Uh, and apparently some electric vehicle manufacturers are thinking of introducing gears for that reason, having a gearbox that will switch between two different gears. Would that mean an electric can go manual again? It could. <laughs> That's a sad news, Laura. It's only two gears is what they're talking about. So at least it's only like high and low. I want zero gears. <laughs> Zero gears you can control. I think they all have gears in there somewhere because, again, they still need to convert the, the power output, all that torque and whatever else, into something that the car can handle. So again, electric motors are, are really powerful, so you need to step it down so the car doesn't just break as soon as you put your foot on the accelerator, apparently. On the plus side, there could be, you know, software or even AI to solve that issue maybe we, maybe you don't have to worry about the gears you know it'll, it'll it'll figure it out oh it's getting up to this speed and we're not running very efficiently let's go into the other gear fair point as long as i don't have to do it manually i'm happy <laughs> that, that sort of thing does make me wonder about the future of car technology if you can incorporate artificial intelligence into it and it can sense the road in front of you i think some cars do do this to an extent where they sense how rough the road surface is and they adapt accordingly what else could they do? Well, they they started doing self-driving now. Well, even before like we get to the fancy self-driving cars, like my car already supposedly keeps you within the lanes and uh, anti-collision Ooh. detection. But I, I'm I'm too scared to try the lane thing. I'm not going to test it as well. It seems a little risky to test this out. But the anti-collision, right? If it sees the car in front of me break or like there's a sudden change in our distance it actually beeps up to let me know yeah see i think that's quite a good idea where it alerts you that you yeah. need to do something rather than like the lane changing one where it just kind of takes control away from you and i kind of imagine you could feel the, the steering wheel moving under your hands i would find that very creepy it was yeah. really creepy i tried the parking there's a parking one where you can get it to to parallel park for you oh, yeah. it like uses the reversing camera and you can 
highlight the box where the bay is and then it will automatically turn the wheel for you but it was too weird it was too weird for me <laughs> yeah that's a, that sounds quite creepy and like it's from a future movie I like though also they have sensors to tell you that you should put your light on or something when when you go through a tunnel. Yeah, don't some turn them on anyway? Or am I imagining that? Yeah. Like it's just it got dark. Put your headlights on. Yeah, mine has the daylight sensors. Yeah, sometimes I like if I did put on the lane assist and and there's cruise control, then I'm on a motorway. What else do I need to do? Kind of worrying, isn't it? <laughs> attention to what's around you uh, i don't know like what if someone merges really quickly like what if they're not paying any attention either and they merge into the lane that you're in what happens then whose car does what mm. oh yeah they, they're, they're both trying to do the same thing that could be a problem if they both try and break at the same time <laughs> yeah automatically is it a game of chicken like one car <laughs> things ah but if i'm not in that same space it's fine and the other car like way over accelerates i don't know can you imagine the ai sitting there going do i play chicken with this car (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i've heard talk of uh, cars sort of talking to each other so if you pass a car coming from the direction it can tell you what is happening ahead of you because it's just been there that'd be pretty cool that sounds really meta yeah so it could tell you like is the road really slippery because there's a diesel spill or something or is there a dead sheep on the road which might happen around here because i live <laughs> in cheap country so like the car if the cars start talking what next <laughs> night rider <laughs> i don't suppose you remember that do you? it's very very old tv series i guess say very old it's been revived there is a new night rider oh is there I mean, I say new when it's like the past 10, 15 years new. <laughs> I think that one might have passed me by. I was like, oh, like brand new, like it's just come out now on Netflix. <laughs> no, I think it was. Sorry. Right. I feel like this was before Netflix was really that popular. I mean, look. So would we have a car whisperer at a point like the horse whisperer? <laughs> I feel like if cars were made by humans, then we wouldn't need to have a whisperer to interpret them hope not and communicate with them i hope the cars know what we intend otherwise we are just being taken on a ride maybe they would develop their own language (laughs) (laughs) just don't get into it then this this is where we're going we're just totally abandoning cars altogether because they're going to take over i mean they could if we give it ai without much limitation what's to stop it like i don't know i don't know what 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 could a what can an AI do if all it has is a car as its body? Go on a rampage? Kill all humans? <laughs> yeah. Um, there must be a kill switch in this thing. Yeah, I was just thinking that, yeah. I guess if they're all sort of connected to each other via like, Bluetooth or whatever, there must be some way to infiltrate that network and take them down. Like Skynet. <laughs> yeah, this has gotten very dystopian. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think you know through through exploration in sci-fi we've worked out to not do that to to our to our robots and our ai 
Yeah, I've got to say, uh, I do quite like the idea of self-driving cars because the reason that I don't enjoy driving is it's not control of the car. It's more knowing what other people are going to do. Uh. And if you can take that component out of it and all the cars kind of obey the same rules, the rules of the road, then that seems more pleasant. And it means that like, you don't have to pay attention to the road either. And it's like getting on a train and you can sit there and read a book or sleep or do some work. Yeah, that, that would be interesting, but you would need a lot of infrastructure to get that functioning. Yeah, this is what I wonder about, because part of the AI component is to recognize the features that are around the car. And this this is what I've been wondering. There are a lot of roads around me that don't have an obvious side to them. Like They don't have paint on the edge or <laughs> there isn't a curb either. There's just kind of this hedge that starts to overgrow the road, depending on the time of year. How easy is it for the AI to know that there is a bit of road under that hedge? And if, especially because they're quite narrow roads around here, so you can't always pass an oncoming vehicle. How does the AI know that it can kind of scooch into the hedge and let the other car pass? Where's the next, like, passing um, hedge? Yeah, I mean, I guess that bit, if they do know what's ahead and behind them, they can figure out the easiest passing place. But yeah, how do they decide which is the best hedge to scooch into? I think, though, that would require to specifically train a car for an area or download something for that area, like when you download offline maps. But we have got pretty good sat-nav, like Google Maps with its traffic conditions and also... I don't know how it does this, whether it's from people who are passengers reporting accidents or road blockages, or does Google figure that out from the speed of the cars that's connected to it? I've, I've always wondered this. And, you know, maybe in your case, the AI of or the computer of the, all the cars will know from just, ah, this is the path that all the, all the vehicles go through this is where there is space and not hedge. Oh, I'm good point. I've never considered Google to be that intelligent to pay enough attention to are you 10 centimetres closer to the hedge than this other person? Oh, I don't know if it's that accurate yet, but maybe it could be. Maybe it could work it out from ultrasound so it doesn't have to visually see. It's like you're saying the car will be a bat. <laughs> Batmobiles for everyone. The bat car. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know, maybe it'll use a combination of things. I guess it could use colour as well, so it'll know if it's green, it's probably leaves, and combine that with the ultrasound sensing. Yeah, actually, because what if it's just a single branch that sticks out and it thinks, oh no, can't drive into that. This is a this is a danger. And it's just this one stray branch that everyone would drive through. Like it, it wouldn't really bother people. Like Buses. Have you ever gone on buses and country lanes and you just hear it hitting the top of the trees? It's a bit creepy. I would really like cars that drive themselves so I can still be independent and not have to think about what other people are doing on the road. But also it just sounds a bit creepy. And it's been quite a long time in development, has it? And it's still not really here yet. It's kind of here. How efficient it is now, I, I don't know. Yeah, something else. I was reading about now that I think about it is people deliberately stepping out in front of self-driving cars just to be a nuisance because mm. they know it'll stop Ooh. and they just think it's funny to interrupt your day. That is something that I've always thought about and which is kind of more on the, on the moral perspective of what is the ethics of a self-driving car if there were, <laughs> I don't know, a line of people in front of it and then the line of people behind 
who does it choose to hit? Or if there was a danger to the passenger, would it protect the passenger over the bystanders? Because no one would want a car where they are more likely to die than a bystanders. But then what if someone else has an opposite logic? And then you, you know, you've got different companies doing different things. Yeah, or I guess you can set the car to do what you think is morally right. <laughs> this is taking a weird turn again. We talk about the morals of car technology. I think we we, we will need a new highway code if that True. happens. Yeah. Because someone needs to set the rules. It can't be the drivers. No, that's that's very true. I've got to say, though, all the advantages that new technology has given us. Um, my boyfriend's fairly new hybrid broke down a few miles from home not so long ago. Well, we think we had uh, driven all the way out and most of the way home on just the battery. And then when the battery went flat, the petrol motor obviously tried to kick in, but it couldn't. Huh. So we ended up coasting all the way downhill and just managing to get off the main road before we came to a complete stop (laughs) it turns out the controller for the fuel injection had broken the electric controller had done something it shouldn't have done my boyfriend works on cars an awful lot and he's like if this was not all electric weirdness i'd have been able to get this thing home yeah and we were waiting so so long for recovery we probably could have walked home in that time but we had to sit and wait for someone Mm. to come and rescue us which seemed a bit silly in the middle of nowhere this is not fun fun no it wasn't it wasn't we were there for hours just staring out the window and listening to the radio yeah that is the difficult thing with software because people can sort of protect it and say it's proprietary whereas mechanical things you can physically change it and fix it and then you could have been on your way so yeah is there a right to repair software coming i don't know exactly what failed with the component I assume it was just some like some sort of circuit board and a resistor or a transistor or something went, but I don't know. We didn't ask. I think if they become more and more of a thing, we would need a new training for simple repairs just to switch it on enough not to be in the middle of nowhere like we do with normal mm. cars. Do we really need such complicated technology? Why do things keep getting more complicated? What's wrong with the, riding a bike? That's what I do. I, I can see how my bike works. I can see how it breaks. I can see how to fix it. Well, I agree with you in this, but if I need to drive between Stirling and Dundee for work, uh, that won't work. <laughs> that is true. What if we meet halfway with a electric bike? <laughs> uh, well, what if it was heavily raining? <laughs> Wear a jacket. That's what I do. Or I just get wet. Sometimes it's nice to be, if I'm doing a lot of exercise, out in the rain. The rain cools me down. If you're going to work, you don't want to arrive at work soaking wet get changed soaking wet and tired (laughs) maybe well no because you do it every day so you're really fit and everyone's used to turning up being totally soaked this is what i did for my entire phd cycling around manchester yeah manchester is is, is friendly to cycle and what the highway between two cities maybe that could be changed though i mean instead of self-driving cars let's just have more efficient you know, public transport, like rail, it's pretty good at mass transport of people. <laughs> it's just, we don't always want to go A to B. They're quite expensive. And also sometimes they're terrible. So the other day the, the train was two hours late. But is it the train's fault or is it the system around the train? The people that manage them. Well, they had to drive on a slower speed because uh, they were suspecting a landslide because it was heavily raining. 
But that's a civil engineering problem, though, isn't it, Rueda? And you're a civil engineer. <laughs> Can't get off the train and tell them and check and check it for them. Can I? <laughs> that would be rude. Yes, that's true. But would you have been able to get round it if you were in a car? Like the landslide would still be there. Yeah. Well, I could have timed it to go earlier in the day, and strive slowly and I don't have to de- to depend on a technology to take me from A to B. I would love to do the trains to be honest, but there's what it is. Which mm. I think it might be convenient to have a flying cars. I I think that would just make things more complicated. I agree. I think <laughs> If we were talking about people not following the highway code before, can you imagine what the airway code would look like? Hmm. Yeah, if you introduce that third dimension and people don't stay in that invisible lane. Oh my God, <laughs> right? Or just land on your house or whatever they want to do. Yeah, how? I'm just trying to pitch. How do you stop someone landing on your house? Put a laser on it. <laughs> you can laser them away. Or like a mosquito. Not... You know, those little boxes that make awful sounds just like somehow have a hover car mosquito to stop it from landing. <laughs> yeah, I'm also not too convinced about the future of flying cars because I assume that they would use some sort of um, fossil fuel based propellant mm. to get enough energy density. And if everything is meant to be moving to reducing greenhouse gas emissions, which means not burning fossil fuels. This is the point of the electric vehicles, right? That they're meant to be lower emissions and therefore more environmentally friendly but um yeah unless someone can crack like how how you can make vehicles fly without producing any greenhouse gas emissions at all and figure out what the rules of flying them are i don't know people have talked about hydrogen for vehicles as the alternative to you know internal combustion engines and also alternative to electric vehicles but i think it's kind of fallen away because of the cost of making it but i think that's just because Everyone was looking at steam methane reformation, which is the most common way, but still requires fossil fuels. Yeah, there's stuff like storage, you get hydrogen above and I feel like we're going really off topic now as well, talking about hydrogen. This seems like another episode, doesn't it? The ins and outs of hydrogen economy. So, so to sum up, it, it kind of sounds like we're saying that we don't necessarily want to rely on cars, but they're going to be around for quite a while and if there are ways that we could make them more comfortable without them being weird, like just wrestling control away from you, then that's what we should go for. Is that what we're saying? I think so. Yes. Cool. And if public transport were everywhere and took you wherever you wanted to go, that would be marvellous. But I'm really not sure I can see that happening. Not where I live. Not in a rural area. So I think that is probably a good place to leave the episode. So if you've enjoyed this one, you can find us on social media, ask us any questions or carry on the conversation. And if you've been enjoying the podcast so far, please consider buying us a coffee, a tea or a beer following the link in the podcast description. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. The views expressed in this podcast belong entirely to the person that said them. They do not represent any industry or organisation. If you enjoyed listening to these views, it would really help us out if you could rate us, leave a review and tell a friend. This podcast was sponsored by no one, but if you're interested in funding us to continue to have frank discussions about science and engineering, please get in touch.